So, Richard. Yes, Eric. I know you don't like energy beings. I don't like energy beings. In fact, I think they suck. But how do you feel about gaseous cloud beings? Well, I usually take a bit of Pepto and lie down if that's happening. Because in our episode, well, one of our episodes this week. We had a gaseous cloud being. One of our planets is missing, which is not a great title, but we'll leave that aside. It's better than the gaseous cloud being of Kamazots 3. Probably, yeah. Uh, I liked this one. Uh, oh, yes. You I... know, it's it's funny. We're, we're three episodes into the animated series right now, and it's better than the third season of the original series. Well, here's something I'm noticing. Um, in any of the episodes we've watched, they don't really kill any of the bad guys. They kind of have been very consistently coming to an understanding with all of them, uh... Which I feel may have been part of because it was an animated series. You had to, you know, since kids were watching, they needed to give it a kind of a diplomatic ending that does feel like something that some kids shows do mandate. So in a way, the tones of most of these episodes are closer in line to like season one and season two episodes when, you know, they did have to, they did want to come to an understanding and did want to, you know, talk the monster down rather than actually killing it. And so... This is very much a twist on the Horda type of plot where you have a monster who is attacking people now in that it was obviously the Horda was attacking because it felt it was being attacked itself. It was self-defense. And when the two were – when the Horda and the humans were able to communicate with each other, they realized, oh, neither of us wants this fight. Let's cooperate. In this, the gaseous cloud does not realize that it's killing people. It just genuinely does not think of life in those terms, and once Spock points it out, it immediately says, all right, I'm out of here, you know? It seems a little sad about that and definitely didn't want that, and frankly is a lot further advanced than anyone I know because I'm not exactly a vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. This is essentially the someone tells you meat's alive and, you know, all right, I'm never eating it again. That's what this cloud is doing. Well, I think I think it's interesting, and I hadn't made that connection before, but, but you're right. I mean, this this in a lot of ways, this is sort of a retread of The Devil in the Dark, but I don't think in a in a bad way. And No, no. It's a, again, it's a different twist on that situation rather than, you know, a self-defense thing. This is, again, one can do harm without even realizing it. Yeah. But once one realizes the harm that one is, you know, in other words— you can live in ignorance, but the second you find out about it, you have to change is kind of the moral of this one. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a fairly sophisticated moral to have. For... No, it totally is. And I think, you know, I think you're right that, that some of that probably just had to do with the fact that this was on, on Saturday mornings and, and, and children were ostensibly watching it. But that makes it better. I think the other thing, too, is that you're, you're right in, in, in assuming that it, it's more in line with the, the show as, as portrayed in the first and second seasons of the original series than in the third season. Because, you know, we, we saw in the third season of the original series a, a lot of things that didn't feel like Star Trek, a lot of sort of more stock science fiction uh, pulpy plots where they were attacking people for no reason and these sorts of things. And I definitely feel like so far we've seen in the, in the animated series much more thoughtful episodes, which is interesting because you know, the show had much more license to go crazy with its visuals. And I think we're, we're starting to see that where, you know, 
one of our planets is missing would have been a much less effective episode of the live action oh, yeah. original series than the animated series because you know the, the the visuals in the in the episode are very nice and you get these great shots of the cloud being you know the the enterprise being attacked by little cloud cloud creatures that uh, Dr. McCoy says are like teeth and things like that and it's yeah. just it's really it's, really interesting it's this whole when i was a kid i was totally both into and terrified by like fantastic voyage type of things like the human body both you know fascinated and repulsed me so i would have been very into this episode if i'd seen that because this is kind of their version of fantastic voyage what i find is it's almost half-assedly uh educational in some ways because at the one point he's like well those are like the villa and those are in the small intestine and he so he's explaining what you know he's he's explaining anatomy basically yeah but then he so it's like all right well that's cool you know i actually this is a very cool way of getting you know some education and then he's like and they're made of antimatter and it's like i can't tell which parts are real and which parts are techno babble so i actually have either learned nothing about anatomy or like, I'm going to go into, you know, there'll be an accident at some point, and, like, a doctor will come by and be like, his antimatter villa are coming out. And uh, Well, Richard, I will say that if you think antimatter is a real part of the human anatomy, then your biology class failed you miserably. It did, Eric. I went to Catholic school. Oh, well, there's your problem. <laughs> um, uh, no, you know, and that's funny. I mean, it, it's good that you mentioned the antimatter because I, I think this episode also shows us something that the original series, you know, just could not do where you, we finally get a look at the the sort of antimatter-matter reaction sort of in the engines. Yeah. Like, that's really cool. And, you know, it, it, one criticism that I've heard, if I can jump ahead uh, 45 years, is um, the, the Abrams Star Trek stuff, you know, Star Trek into darkness which which came out uh you know a month or so ago and uh the origin the the 2009 movie is that you know a lot of people had had problems with sort of the 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 size of the enterprise and um you know making it so much massive and so much larger than than the original one from the original series and you know the 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 engineering section just looked massive and the warp core in star trek into darkness is, is massive and looks totally different from anything we've seen before and uh i saw one review of the movie which said that you know this is this is the the 21st century imagining what the 23rd century would look like the original series yeah. was 1966 imagining what the 23rd century would look like with a completely different budget yeah I was and say, i think it, give the star trek you know the 60s star trek people on unlimited budget they may have it may have been deeper and bigger and more elaborate you know, yeah and were... i and i and I, I bring that up because i think you can see that with the animated series where when they were sort of divorced from having to worry so much about budget i mean obviously the show had a budget and it's not it, it's not free to yeah. to animate things but freed from the freed from the 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 uh, you know need to have sort of a scope and sort of sets they they did go big and and the 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 engine that we see in the episode is a much would be a massive massive set if it was real which i like and i think that sort of goes to the idea that the the show was limiting itself due to budget more than anything else and and it was it sort of freed from those constraints in the animated series yeah and i will say i have been thinking about this and there is an element where they would reuse sets on animation to save time and budget. Like you, every time they, they they draw that bridge background, they're using the same one every time as well. So, I mean, we've already seen uh, Spock leaning back and forward like 45 times. It it seems like they, that seems like kind of what they did here rather than, 
you know, the, the bridge shots, when they're on the ship, they are reusing the same animations. They're very limited in the characters, but they're, then they're, they're spending the time on, on, on these background details and these weird planets. And I frankly think that was a much better choice. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I like about the episode is that it, it doesn't sugarcoat you know what the what the cloud is actually doing because oh, yeah. because one one uh they they find out about the cloud because it does consume a planet and the, and the planet is being consumed as they're inside the cloud and they have to call ahead to another planet which has something like 80 million people living on it and they have a conversation with the governor and you know yeah, I, and well they're first of all they even debate whether they should tell the governor or not cause yeah they, and they're basically saying well on the one hand you know he can evacuate some people but on the other hand if we, you know, will that cause a panic that will kill even more, you know, that will, will, we can't even save them? Is this worth, is it worth it? And, you know, they only call him because Kirk knows him and he says, well, he'll know, he will make the right decision on this. You know, he is a Federation guy. Yeah, Kirk um, says basically that, that he's not someone to panic. Yeah. And, and so they, they do make the decision to call the governor and the governor saves children. I mean, and I think it's interesting because... Is, uh, well, I'm you know, a horrible person, but why the hell would you save the children? Well, I mean, because they're young and they're innocent, I guess. Yeah, but they can't like preserve the culture. Now, maybe I'm looking at this Vulcanly, but you know, the culture is not with the children. They are going to absorb whatever culture they get. Uh, you may also, I mean, it may also be again because it was on Saturday mornings and, and children that is were watching too. it. Yeah, you know? it was, again, and it's not like this, you know, ruined my day, but. No, I think it's an interesting point, though. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I thought I sort of thought that was a little strange as well. I mean, and he says it's not even that he says the children. He says there's no choice. We're saving the children, as if he, you, know, it's it's not worth even thinking about. This is so obvious. I think you know, it's it's hard to read into you know Governor Wesley's motivations yeah. in this episode because he doesn't get a ton of of, of screen time, but. I think it says something about him as a person that he would immediately jump to that conclusion that that's yes. the only obvious answer that oh, he yeah, saves and children. I think that's... Um, and it, he, they do state later on that his daughter is with him, and so I think yeah, um, making the point that he did not save her. he didn't save her, but but he can save other people's children, and yeah. and maybe that's it. I, I do wonder though if it's a good idea to just save the children and not save at least one of their parents. Because, you know, yeah, even if they say and, you know, recognizing it's still 73, but, you know, save the women and the children, you know, all right, you know, you can or save any pregnant women. I guess you couldn't say pregnant on Saturday morning on Saturday probably morning. not. No, but, you know, I well, if we're in real life here, you know, again, this is a re, this is an animated reenactment of what Kirk and his friends really did. Right. So right. maybe they would have really saved the pregnant women. Probably. That makes yeah, yeah. no sense to me. Yeah. What do you make of, of, of how they communicate with the cloud? Because, you know, Spock's mind powers are always sort of plot driven. Um, you know, we've we've seen him use them before in, in the original series. This is the first time that we've seen him use them in the animated series. And, you know, he does make a point of saying that he can't mind meld with the creature without some physical contact, which is obviously impossible. Yeah. But he does manage to sort of reach out and, and sort of body swap with the cloud and so the cloud is in spock yeah i i just i went with it because i thought the scene was well done enough and spock has developed and lost powers as it goes i think he just kind of 
I, 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 I'm thinking about this in like tabletop RPG terms. Like maybe he just buys a power for like a one shot thing. And so I think in this one, he just bought the tele- telepathy and body swapping powers, you know, yeah. he had some left over and he used them and he won't have them in the next episode. Um, it was a strong enough uh, scene. It, you know, it was almost as good as the. I love that Horta scene when he is minding meld with mind melding with it. This is obviously much more stripped down, but it was probably for this kind of show. It was as well done. Um, and I did love that scene when it's just kind of in Spock's body, just looking at everything, and because that is the only way that it's understanding that these are people, it has to actually see that and right and the conclusion that it comes to and compare and you know that's that's Major Barrett doing the voice through the computer and. I'm really starting to appreciate her acting as the computer. I used to not like her actually as it. And well, that's good because she stays the computer for a very I long know, time. Like, and it's one of those, like I, I, the reason I've never said that is because I know everybody loves the shit out of her for, especially for doing that. And like, I love her as number one. I love her as nurse chapel. And I think it's starting to click cause she does it emotionless. And yet you can tell that the, and yet she does have enough inflection that it feels I mean, you can tell that this cloud is just devastated by what mm-hmm. it's done and is regretfully doing this and, you know, is extremely sorry. And it she does that very subtly, I would say. And I liked that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that entire scene, again, it doesn't really matter that Spock doesn't necessarily have these powers because where it goes was a nice place. I think it does make a strong argument for, because this is, you know, probably, you know, the fourth or fifth time that we've seen Spock save the day through his, his mind powers. You know, I think it does make a, a strong argument for, for maybe the, the idea that, um, all Starfleet vessels should have a Vulcan in the crew. I mean, because this seems to be something that comes up often. And if you can have somebody in your crew that can, can touch the mind of someone who you're having trouble contacting and, and save the day through that means it seems well, let, very useful to let me. Let me ask you this. Doesn't it seem like that? Now, I know we're going ahead to Next Generation, but doesn't that seem like that would have been a good role for Counselor Troy to have? True, true. Like, if, if, if I, I, from what I know, like, she just kind of, I sense that, the, you know, the screaming Klingon's angry, but she could be doing this kind of a thing. Yeah, That yeah. might have been a bit... I well, know. I mean, we don't want to go too much into of course, next generation. And I, but I, this is just half remembered from years ago. But. Her her whole thing is that she's not a telepath. She's she's just empathic, so she can't actually like contact other minds. She can just sense what they're feeling. That's yeah. But at it. the same time, she's not a real person. They could have had given her a set of abilities that had that. Yeah, I don't and been I don't, able to do more with it. I don't really know why they they went there, but yeah. that's something we can revisit anyway. when we get to the next generation. Because because we know if there's one thing that Star Trek has done really well, it's empaths. I think the one other thing that I want to mention uh before we move on to to our next episode is uh Arix has a couple lines yeah! in this episode. That's his name. What kind of a, an alien is he? I don't know what kind of alien he is. I think I used to know. Maybe they'll uh, establish. I haven't noticed it being established yet. So I don't know if they ever say what species he is. But then again, I, I've I only like I've, I've, would, I've never though, really because, seen the animated series. So yeah, we'll we'll, we'll discover this together. Yeah, you, I I would be very surprised if there is a lot in this series that seems like it's totally for the kids and the fans. Like we're going to show you some really cool Star Trek stuff. So 
if they introduce an alien, there are going to be people who are wondering what that kind of alien is. Have you noticed that he has a third arm on the front of his Yeah, chest? and they have the, he has a modified uniform to us. To, to accommodate yeah, that. Yeah, that is the one thing that I like about the show so far is we're getting a lot of it, cool, cool aliens. It makes it almost feel like, yeah, in th- this feels like the late stages of the five-year mission. And it seems like by this point, Starfleet has become much more diverse. Much cause, Because at this point, they this, this the, the galaxy is four years more charted. They've put more, you know alien species into the federation so it makes only sense only makes sense that someone have joined the crew and dc fontana and i think she said that other writers felt this way too about the animated series is that this was basically the fourth year of the five-year mission yeah so that makes sense yeah it genuinely genuinely feels like they i don't know and i almost wonder if there are any backstories in there like what, what, what the Maybe Eric's is somebody that he Kirk met on a mission that we just didn't see filmed, and you know he saved his life, and he decided I'm joining the Federation. Like I, I, I don't know. It, it seems like there's a lot of fanfic opportunities here. Oh, I'm sure, I'm <laughs> sure, and he's probably in books and stuff like that. Um, this is starting to feel like what I thought Star Trek was. I really like the how expansive and rich the world the real world feels so much richer now than it did a couple seasons uh, a couple you know at the beginning of the second episode it was series it was surprising me how much in the original series was just not formed um i like the trippiness of it i again i've i think the art is gorgeous in the background scenes i i think if this if this starts to make you a Trekkie, then you might be the first person ever to get into Star Trek through the animated series. I, you know, I, I, I and I'd be okay with that. Yeah, it, it just this is what I thought Star Trek was it was going into this whole experiment. Yeah, that that's interesting though. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I have one more. I have just another question. So now they're able to just put any old shit into the thing and that's how their engines run like because at one point they say well we could just put anything from the planet into the matter thing i I assume so yeah so they don't need dilithium anymore well i don't really understand what was going on there and here's the thing does nobody find it a little weird that they are cutting off pieces of a creature and using that to power their engines while it's still alive because that is what they are doing yeah it's a little weird yeah that that creeped me out and yet this episode gets four gaseous clouds out of five. <laughs> Is that what we're doing? Gla- gaseous clouds? Why not? I like this one. I'll give it a four, too. And I'll give it a five. All right. Well, let's move on to the Lorelei signal. So I thought it was very strange that Lauren Graham did not make an appearance in this episode. Well, you know, she was going to, but she was she she was probably very, very little at this point, wasn't she? Like how, how Maybe she? she was watching this. Oh, man. <laughs> and that's how the Gilmore Girls happened. So when I watched this episode, I thought that you would probably have a very strong reaction yeah! to it. So why don't you just go ahead? I and... loved this episode. This was I showed I watched this with a friend of mine who was totally not into like sci-fi at all and we loved it because again, this is everything that I want Star Trek to be. It's campy, it's weird, it's a little funny, but at the same time it is very much a okay so we're in 1973 at this point correct the 
the women's lib has been in a very different place than it was in the late 60s. Um, and this is very much a part of that. You have this stock plot where, you know, the men are entranced by the, you know, beautiful female aliens. And, oh, what are they going to do? And how are Kirk and Spock and, you know, McCoy going to get out of this one? Because, that, well, the answer is Yahura and, you know, Chapel are like, well, shit, you know. Let's get all the women together and let's rescue the captain because, you know, women seem to be unaffected by this. And she doesn't even, like, miss a beat. The two of them are like, yeah, this is something weird's going on, right? All right, get the guns. I loved that. It, it, it's... And it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I remember talking, you know, a, a few episodes ago where uh, uh, we had made the point that, that women in the third season obviously were not well served uh, in the original series. And the ones that were were usually episodes written by women. And this episode of the animated series was written by a woman. So I, I wonder yeah. if that had something to do with it as well. And again, I appreciate that if that's the case. You know, we forget that they... I mean, this... this Yohura has many times been, you know, given control of the bridge or whatever. Um, or, you know, Nurse Chapel has taken care of, you know, Med Bay when, you know, McCoy is out. So... The two of them are used to, you know, that, and we we find, oh, they probably would have gotten combat training, and they, this is exactly why. I don't know. It, it's, it gives them a level of even further competence than the show had previously given them, and I like that. No, I like it too, and I, I like seeing Uhura just immediately take control of the ship. I like her, you know, immediately connecting the dots and saying, well, men are being affected by this and women are not, so let's just make sure that women are the ones that are in control of the ship and in yeah. control of the landing parties. And I also find it interesting that, you know, she's not in much of the episode, though, which is weird. Like, most of the episode is down on the planet with our our, our heroes, Spock, Kirk, yeah. McCoy, and, and random redshirt guy, but... It maybe doesn't need to be devoted to Ohora and seeing the adventures of well, the female Enterprise crew. Put it crew. this way: there is really not much that they have to do. Essentially, they go onto the planet. They're like, "Look, you, you know, give us back the captain." They, the, the, the evil blondes make you know hissing noise, and they're like, "Oh, right, we have phasers." They stun them, and that's that's the entire battle, pretty much, because. You know, the, the, all, all these women have are their psychic powers, which are useless against women. There's no real guards. They're not attacking. They're not locked up. Like, it is fair. They really just need somebody to waltz in and grab them. Yeah. And, you know, so yeah. What, but what is more interesting is the effects that this is having on the captain. Seeing them old. I love how when McCoy gets up at one point, he stretches his back like his back is hurting like that was just a really interesting pose they put him in, and a very one of the better poses they've had for this character so far. You know, it, it's it's interesting because if you go to the beginning of the episode, um, you get those the the men are having the visions from the signal, and then yeah. they get drawn to the planet and they beam down. And it's it's funny because I kind of feel like this is the episode where they were probably skirting the edges of what they could get away with because. You know, one of one of the one of the standard sort of things about Kirk is that he's a womanizer and he's always macking on the ladies. And of course, we haven't seen him do that in the animated series because it's a Saturday morning cartoon. But 
the the visions that they're getting i think are are they're not they're not sexual they're they're just they're sort of a little risque they're a little risque but i think they're more romanticized than anything else and especially with with spock where he says something about the the vulcan marriage drum and you know where that came from i have no idea um and i just think it's kind of a it's kind of a, a smart way to elide the question and it's also set up interestingly, I think, because the women don't need the men. They just suck the life force out of them and then they die. It's not a mating thing. No. So in that sense, I think it does It does make sense at least. Although in that sense, you know, that is kind of symbolic of marriage. But I, I find that this actually deals with the whole st- it actually does bring about marriage in a very weird way because it does present it as this life-draining force, but then they find out, no, there is a way of doing this that both people can enjoy because the, um, you know, these these women do say, you know, at the end express, oh, you know, we could finally find love. We could actually, you know, have a real relationship rather than these just tusks. And so they are going to find a way which allows both to thrive, assumedly. Yeah, exactly. And I mean the the and, last the last line of the episode is uh it, it is a much better future than immortality, which I think is interesting because that goes back to something yeah. that you talk about a lot, even going so far back as the first season of the original series with this side of paradise where um, you know, immortality and sort of living this life that is very, very idyllic without any sort of purpose. Yeah, it's very is, sterile. Is, is very sterile and it's not literally what, sterile in this case. They are explicitly said they can't have children yeah and it's it's not what people are meant to do it's not what the show wants people to do and it's not the viewpoint that the show takes is good and i like seeing that continuity i find it there have been a couple of episodes where i have said um you know gee it makes no sense for the and mostly in season three it makes no sense for the bad guys to be doing this because if they just said to the federation look here's our issue help us you know the Federation would figure out a way uh, and, you know, would figure out a use for them. And this that's essentially how this episode ends. Like, once they explain, look, this is this is what happened, you know, they can realize, oh, this is not out of malice. And actually, here's an idea. And it's, you know, implied it will work. I mean, I didn't totally buy that ending just because it seemed a little... It seemed a little too pat to me. Well, yeah, and because again, this was this was a colony of people that were murdering people for for centuries. So in that sense, I think they got off a little lightly. Well, yeah, there is that, and I think that had just more to do with the fact that it was a twenty four minute episode, and that w- to bring up that kind of a philosophical queer, you know quandary that would be another the rest of the episode if this were a full yeah. Track one, but I but I think you know in in that sense it makes it a less it, it makes it a less good episode. I'll and say that's that fair. you know it doesn't it doesn't really um, confront the question head on, and no. I think in a, in a way that hurts the episode. But this wasn't the but I will say this wasn't the best episode we've seen. But that said, you know I I enjoyed it for what it was. I love the planet scenes again. Yeah, the other the other thing I had a problem with in this episode was you were talking about how competent Uhura and the and the women crew were, and I do agree with you. They totally were competent and, and very well uh, well suited. Good to job, control. ladies. But yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, Sp- 
Spock realizes what's going on and he does direct a lot of their actions. And so there is that sort of sense where even though the women take control of their own volition and Uhura yeah. does realize what's going on and makes the connection and, and, and she enables Spock to contact the ship because of course, if, if, if yeah. uh, Scotty had still been in control, that may not have happened. Uh, he is still sort of in control of, of of the driving force of the episode. At the same time, he is still a superior officer to her no matter what. And just based on rank, his experience, yeah. he would be. So I think while maybe they could have waited to save Spock for a little longer, it was – it is still – you wouldn't be able to have him – you know, active without him by rank making the, the decisions in this case. That that does I, make sense. Yes, um, and he it, sort it, of it's a it's a justifiable thing. While it does it does have its problems. Yeah, and I guess in that sense, it sort of makes sense because I, I don't believe the Duhor and the Enterprise crew knew where they were, and so he there had to get there had to be a scene where um, they they do find out where they are so that they can be rescued. Yeah, and I think in that sense, it makes sense at least. Yeah. Um, speaking of Scotty, that scene when he's just singing and it's supposed to be him going crazy from the mind rays, but they have this scene where it's just the Enterprise slowly going over the planet and just him singing a cappella, and it's a gorgeous scene. Like, See, I thought you just... wouldn't like that. I thought you would think it was padding. No, it was because it was just so eerily done, and... I wasn't sure what was going on, and I wasn't yeah, sure. Yeah, like I didn't either. But I'm, but it, because the 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 shot of the Enterprise with with his singing overlaid on top of it went on just I think a little too long. Yeah, and it just comes out. It's a it's a cut from a completely different scene. Like I believe it's just you know Kirk and everybody on the planet, and then just cuts to this scene. But it was just so out of place. But again, I've liked this show for. We're just going to show you some trippy shit, and as an isolated scene, without any context, again, I thought it was a very, very beautiful scene. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, and then again, once they reveal the context is this is a a, a, a mind-controlled Scotty, then it becomes a very sad and disturbing at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the other sort of plot hole in the episode, maybe a little bit, is... Uh, Spock, they, they do say that Spock ages more slowly than the rest of them, but at the same time, he looks like he's aging more rapidly than the rest of them, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I would just say that's cheap animation. It could be, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and the very end of the episode, it just sort of, I mean, the the resolution of it, I think, is a little is a little flabby just because it's very, very obvious that these characters are no threat at all. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it wasn't a... In a Baylock sense, where it's no threat at all, but the threat—I don't know. It, it, it again, this isn't wouldn't be one of the best episodes of either series, but I thought there were enough moments that I liked it. Yeah. Um, two things I noticed from this episode. Well, one one more thing about the episode, and then more of a meta thing. This is the first time that he's actually said "Beam us up, Scotty." Did he say that? In the yeah, episode? he literally did. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, what I thought was hilarious was once they restore Kirk, um, oh yeah, they do that weird, like, transporter matter thingy. Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, anyway. They had to they get They reverse them, but... the polarity and fix it. Um, 
the very first thing Yahura says to Kirk is not, oh, you know, you look healthy again, or, you know, you look as strong as ever. She says, you're as handsome as ever. She compliments his attractiveness, which for a... This, this, that's something the show would have done for a female character in the same situation that it does it to a male character is very interesting. Actually, yeah, I didn't pick up on that. I mean, I think that that yeah, like it's there are so many other things that I would have thought that she would have said, like you know, you you look good, you know, yeah. And I think you she know, could have complimented his health or his you know his strength. She compliments his beauty. Yeah, I mean, you you said earlier on that this is 1973, and of course, women's liberation and feminism was was a yeah. bit more it was it was different at this point than it was um, even just a few years ago. And so you know, we're starting to get into the mid 70s at this point. And you're right, I think that 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 turns the tables in sort of an equality way. I don't know that I necessarily think that that's much of an advance, but in terms of looking at it from, from 40 years later, yeah, uh-huh. I think, you know, we can see that while that's not, you know, women's women were not fighting for the right to objectify men. They were, they were fighting for the right to, to be as equal to men yeah, to um, go to work and to, uh, you know, have the same, you know, legal rights and to, you but, know, et cetera, et cetera. but at the same time, you know, a, a Saturday morning children's cartoon based on a failed uh, primetime science fiction television show that is doing that sort of thing, I think, says something about yeah. the culture in 1973. It was an interesting choice of a line. Yeah. Either way, like, it was, I noticed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, do you have anything else about this episode? No. What would you give it? I would give this seven crazy vampire ladies out of eight. Um, yeah, I, I, it's okay. We have like four. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So next week we're going to cover something that Richard will be very excited about. Will I? More Tribbles. Oh. More Troubles. (laughs) The Return of the Tribbles. And The Survivor. So join us on. (laughs) 